Benjamin Rush was one of the foremost physicians of the late 18th century. Mr. Rush wrote about drinking and alcohol. And his belief was that moderation was better than prohibition. And prohibition meant banning alcohol altogether. He wrote a paper called The Inquiry into the Effects of Ardent Spirits Upon the Human Body and Mind in 1784. And Rush argued in that paper that the excessive use of alcohol was bad. It would harm your physical health, your psychological health, and he went as far as labeling drunkenness as a disease. And he did this in 1784. Now that brings us to ethics, because we have some competing opinions in Mr. Rush's paper. So let me look to ethics. Now, ethics are moral principles that govern a person's behavior or conduct during an activity. And in philosophy, we can talk about ethics and we can consider ethics and shape it around questions around how people should act. And we study ethics to search for a definition of right conduct. And we break that down and identify conduct or behavior that causes the greatest good, and we hope that we will see the good life, a life worth living or a life that is satisfying or happy. And the word ethics is comes from the Greek word ethos, and that means customer habit. Now, ethics differs a bit from morals and morality because ethics looks at the theory of the right action and the greater good, while morals indicate their practice. Now, ethics is not limited to specific acts and defined moral codes, but it surrounds the whole of moral ideas and behaviors. And we can consider that a person's philosophy of life. And then ethics begins to ask these questions. How should people act? We call that normative or prescriptive ethics. What do people think is right? And we call that descriptive ethics. How do we take moral knowledge and put it into practice? That's applied ethics. And what does right even mean? Well, that's meta-ethics. I want to dive into normative ethics. And normative ethics is a branch of ethics concerned with establishing how things should or ought to be, how to value them, which things are good or bad, and which actions are right or wrong. And it attempts to develop a set of rules governing human conduct or a set of norms for action. Now, Normative ethics are usually split into three main categories, consequentialism, deontology, and virtual ethics. And inside of those, break it down even further, consequentialism, or teleological ethics, argues that the morality of an action is contingent on the action's outcome or result. Thus, a morally right action is one that produces a good outcome or consequence. Consequentialist theories must consider questions like, what sort of consequences count as good consequences? 
Who is the primary beneficiary of a moral action? And how are consequences judged? And who judges them? And I want those questions to sit there. I want them to stir around. And I want you to think about this. Ethical decision-making today. Is it worth it? Are our leadership's decision worth it? And I want to ask you this. Are financial decisions a guide for leadership decision-making? The consequences of financial decisions. Or should we go into industries where we know the consequences directly are harmful? Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a man of faith. I'm driven by curiosity and making efforts to be empathetic and compassionate. I'm here today to have a conversation with you about the past, the present, and the future. I want to create tension with the hope that I can steer us all towards a new way forward. And all of us will be relieved today, ready to listen to the hearts and bring forth contributions that we wish to make at a local, national, and global level. Today, I'm continuing to look at the music of Public Enemy and the leadership lessons that we can learn from it. One Million Bottle Bags. One Million Bottle Bags was on the album Apocalypse 91, The Empire Strikes Black. One Million Bottle Bags was written about the negative consequences of malt liquor on the African-American community. Chuck D. spoke about this in an interview. And Chuck said this, While many rappers were singing the praise of 40s, which are 40-ounce bottles of malt liquor, Public Enemy took a stand against them. Group leader Chuck D. explained to Melody Maker, One Million Bottle Bags is about the malt liquor problem in black America. Malt liquor has twice as much alcohol content and twice as many residues, that's to say waste products from regular beer. It's effed up beer with more alcohol. Instead of making people laid back, it makes them hostile. And it leads to a lot of black on black violence in America. Think back to our definition of ethics, consequences, right or wrong behavior. Benjamin Rush knew that alcohol in excess was a disease. Here are some of the lyrics. One million bottle bags count them. They think they can bounce the ounce and it get them. Your blacks spend 288 million sitting there waiting for the fizz and don't know what the F it is. Ah, let me tell you about Shorty. He, about 17, looking like 40. Treats his 40 dog better than his G when he gets a big bottle. Oh, he loves the liquor. But look, watch Shorty get sicker. Year after year, while he's thinking it's beer, but it's not, but he got it in his gut. Now we know from studies the effect of alcohol on our brain. It's known. We also know that malt liquor is not regular beer and has a higher content of alcohol. So. We can move from the emotional argument now to the scientific argument from, an, from a study. We know the brain has certain levels of neurotransmitters, 
and those are chemical runners. They transfer and deliver signals throughout the body. Now when you drink alcohol, the chemistry in the brain is interrupted and our neurotransmitters begin to have a hard time functioning as they normally do through the process. It affects our behaviors and our emotions and according to an article written about alcohol, it says what it really does to your brain is it affects the excitatory neurotransmitters, inhibitory neurotransmitters, and these are the three, the several neurotransmitters that it affects. It affects glucomate, and that's responsible for our energy levels and our brain activity. And what alcohol does, it suppresses the release of glutamate, causing the brain's pathways to be slowed down tremendously. Gamma antibiotic acid, called GABA does the opposite, is responsible for helping you calm down and reduce energy levels. Alcohol amplifies the production of GABA in the brain, which can lead to feelings of drowsiness. Next, we have dopamine. It's part of the reward center of the brain. Alcohol increases the release of dopamine in the reward center, causing the brain into being tricked that the alcohol is making you feel great when it is actually simultaneously creating feelings of depression. Now, we know, right? Not from emotion, but from actual science, what science says alcohol in excess does to the brain. It's right there. It's been tested, scientific method, studies, trials, peer-reviewed, research-based, does bad things to our brain. So, is it ethical then if we know that something is bad? then to move forward, introducing that into a culture or working in that culture. Now, specifically, if you work in an industry that you know directly has harmful effects on people, is it ethical to work in that industry? Now, I'll let you answer that question. But for the regular everyday leader, who is in a culture, having to make decisions on a daily basis. Is it ethical, right or wrong, to introduce something bad into a culture when you have the resources and the ability to make a healthy choice? Let's look at the story of Maria Stewart. And Maria Stewart was orphaned at five years old in the 1800s, and she was hired out as a servant. Now, as a young woman, she met a man named David Walker, and David Walker wrote a book called An Appeal to the Colored People of the World, and it was a paper that was worldwide read, and it was against slavery. And he died in 1830, and Maria had married him, and Maria carried on his work, and she wrote articles for a magazine called The Liberator, Liberator, Liberator. It was an abolitionist newspaper and it published anti-slavery articles. And Maria became the first African-American woman to speak in public against slavery. Now Maria was, by the most part, self-talk, self-taught. And she stressed the importance of morality and self-improvement to her audience. She emphasized religion, she insisted that blacks pursue education. 
And when knowledge would begin to flow, she wrote, the chains of slavery and ignorance would melt like wax before the flames. That's what she said. She went on to become a public school teacher in New York, and she founded schools in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. And she was rewarded and remembered by having a dedication to fighting oppression through teaching, writing, and speaking and she was heavily devoted to it. Now, science will tell you there are studies that say reading, writing, telling your stories are financially beneficial for you and scientifically beneficial for you. For instance, it's hard to make it through any profession without having the ability to read or write or speak these days. If you are a realtor, you're going to have to pass a real estate exam. You are going to have to read contracts, write contracts, talk with customers in order to sell a house. If you were to drink alcohol, we see scientifically that it impairs you and you won't be a successful realtor. Or maybe you can be a functional realtor. But the acquisition of knowledge, what does to your brain? We know that reading, writing, and speaking doesn't have the effects on the brain, the negative effects on the brain that alcohol does. So you wouldn't see a study out there that says, if I read a book, my brain will be damaged. Or if I journal, my brain will be damaged. Or if I talk, my brain will be damaged. Those studies aren't out there. In fact, neuroplasticity, and that's the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections throughout life. And neuroplasticity allows neurons, nerve cells in the brain, to compensate for injury and disease and to adjust their activities in response to new situations or changes in their environment. So, alcohol, bad cultures, Injure the brain, cause the brain to be diseased, diseased. So what do we need to do? Well, we can put our brains back together. In an article called Neuroplasticity and Predictors of Alcohol Repo Recovery, C.O. Donji and Rajita Sinha, both PhDs, Department of Psychiatry. One is a doctor of psychiatry and neurobiology at Yale University. They did this study. And in this study, they concluded that neurobiological research in humans has identified neuroplasticity in the PSL circuit. And it's related dysfunctions as key factors to stop relapse and help alcoholics recover. And it also shows when they look at biomarkers of alcohol-related neuro neurological damage. And they can put in new treatments that aim to restore the brain, have the potential to influence the development of new treatment strategies to promote alcohol recovery and reduce the global burden associated with alcoholism. So here you stand as a leader. What is the responsible choice With alcohol 
or with any choice that you have in your workplace. Now, you know as a leader that, 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 that this causes damage. It's not just emotional. Like sometimes people will say emotional. No, we have the studies that show that alcohol in excess hurts people. It's there, right? What it does to your brain is there. Now, you have a choice. Do you use your positions and resources to heal? Or do you use your position and resources to hurt directly? Now, let's look at other situations on how this principle of ethical leadership, ethical decision-making, works. Is it ethical to lay a person off when you haven't shown people the budget? Budget is a math problem. It's not an emotional problem. Is it ethical to hold the decision-making process in an organization in the hands of a few when you have talented people with experience? And the only thing you can appeal to is an org chart. Let's say this, for example. Let's say you have a budget problem in your organization. And at the top of the organization is your CEO and your CFO. But also in your organization, at the bottom of the org chart, you have five people who studied accounting. Shouldn't we want the best people in the room to make financial decisions? So shouldn't we have those accountants who may be in the middle of the org chart or at the bottom of the org chart? Isn't it ethical as a leader to find those people? And bring those people into your discussion, or do you simply say, no, it's not in the org chart? So only the CEO and only the CFO can look at this. But what are you appealing to? You are appealing to a system, a chart. Let me ask you this question. Can an org chart do math? No. So why would you not use the knowledge and wisdom of other people who have the talent, skill, and ability inside of your organization? What would be your scientific reasoning? If you have a budget problem and you have accountants in your organization, why wouldn't you use them? Why would you go hire an accountant when you have an accountant within your organization? Can you truly say that you are collaborative if you hire a consultant? If you have people within your organization who can do the job, is it ethical to hire somebody outside of the organization to do the job? What is the reasoning? I mean, how do people in your organization get better if they don't get the chance? And who are you paying? You see, if you have resources, is it ethical? Now, it's not illegal. You can go hire a consultant. It's your money. You can do whatever you want with it. But it is, is it really ethical to decide I am not going to devote resources to strengthening the people in my organization? I'm going to go give it to mo the money and resources to somebody in another organization to benefit them. And why would you do that? 
Why would you choose not to take care of your family, but go to take care of another family? If you want to look at it like that. They call that adultery. When a man steps outside of his own home to go benefit another home, he's not taking care of his home. It's not his, resp his responsibility to take care of his home. And your responsibility is to take care of your organization. So when you use your resources to build up another organization, when you have people in your organization who can do the job, is that ethical? I would say no. But I could be wrong. At the end of the song, Public Enemy, Chuck D., they sample malt liquor commercials. And before they did that, this is the last frame I want to read you. Malt liquor bull, what is the BS Colt 45? Another gun to the brain. Who's selling us pain in the hood? Another up to no good. Plan that's designed by the other man. But who drink it like water? On and on till the stores reorder it. Brothers cry bo broke, but they're still affording it. Sipping it, licking it, drinking it down. Oh no. Drinking poison, but they don't know. It used to be wine, a dollar and a dime. Same man, drinking another time. They could be hard as heck, and they don't give a darn, but still be a sucker to the liquor man. And then at the end of the song, they sample malt liquor commercials. And as the song ends, we hear a line from the Godfather that Don Salucci says, I also don't believe in drugs. For years, I paid my people extra so they wouldn't do that kind of business. Somebody comes to them and says, I have powders. If you put it up three, $4,000 investment, we can make $50,000 distributing it so they can, can't resist. I want to control it as a business to keep it respectable. Then he slams his hand on the table. I don't want it near schools. I don't want it sold to children. That's an infamnia. In my city, we would keep the traffic in the dark people, the coloreds. They're animals anyway. So let them lose their souls. So it comes down to this. We know it's bad. We don't want to sell it to people like us. So we sell it to other people. And in order to do that, we dehumanize them. We call them animals. So when you introduce something harmful into your culture, do you care about the people? Do we have a moral and ethical obligation in our leadership not to meet the bare minimum to keep you compliant? And keep yourself fed and keep your car payments going to keep your bills paid. Don't we have an obligation to at least consider the impact of our decisions on other people? Let's take, for instance, the letter from HR. Somebody gets a letter from HR. We can't leave. We don't need you anymore. Bye. Here's unemployment. Here's your salary. Work for the rest of the week. Bye. Bring in the security guard. Pack up your stuff and go. Is that really ethical? How about talking to a person directly? 
I know this is hard. Losing your job. Having to leave. Having to start a new journey. Sorry that you have to go through this. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that because, oh, no, I could be violating some rule. I could be, I could be, I could get sued. No, you're a human being. You should treat people like a human being. You may deliver news that causes anxiety and you have to do that. But, but when you break somebody's heart, Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Consider the hearts of others in our leadership and be a person who gives a kind word in hard times. But as the person who goes into an industry where it's known that bad things happen, they have the talent, the skill, and ability to go into another industry. Should they go into another industry? I don't know. That's for you to figure out. But thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson experience. Today is your day. This moment is yours. Take time to reflect and be aware. Put your feet on the ground and feel what is underneath you. Look up to the sky and say thank you. Look forward at your surroundings and be aware of all that you have. Begin to name them off. And now move forward from that space. Go out today with your strength and create and heal and contribute and laugh and love. We are all here together. Thank you and have a great one.